This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, me, Madam Adams, Cindy Adams, the incredibly charming, modest, unbelievably brilliant, same Cindy Adams, who harangues you in my column four days every week, Monday through Thursday, in the God bless us New York Post. And I've been there forever. I mean, I can't even remember when I began back in the year, who knows, before there were calendars, just sundials. And I know I am also here on WABC Radio every Sunday, 1 to 2 p.m. Okay, listen, these days now are tough for us all. You think acting is glamorous? Stephen Colbert said, When the pandemic began, I converted a storage room on the eighth floor of the Ed Sullivan Theater to a performance space. I am a producer also and a stage manager, and I had three robot cameras. In my head is a tank of memories of working with an audience. Another tank in my head is working with a staff. So I'm able to juggle a little. And you know if the show is working is when the audience makes noise. They applaud. They laugh. These days, sometimes that tank feels empty when you're working to an empty studio. When COVID came in, I began to lose some perspective. I'm, I'm like, I like to hear somebody who plays an instrument. I like to hear someone laugh. Occasionally, I feel like I'm just going to go out soon and read sheet music aloud. Okay, now we are saying the rest of the world. How about the coming month of June? How about brides? I'm telling you, it's now become a big misery for them. Those bits and pieces once inside wedding gowns, now aren't. People are stuck home eating. The behind has now become the forefront. The back crack is now way out, enlarged. The bosom, no longer can fit in one's bosom, has now seemed to have become the modern centerpiece. <clears throat> the, the neckline slit the deep plunge almost joins another slit. The sides are all cut out, and trash is cash. Even if a lady is shaped like a gorilla, today's bride wants a strapless bra. In all the weddings, they can't get them. They're all stuck in a barge somewhere off China. Now, let me tell you about the occasional out-of-town visitor in bereft New York. New York, the greatest city on earth. We're getting lots of lousy writing. People are saying bad things about us. They're talking about guns. Okay, but we are the capital of the world. We are the center of civilization's gravity. We are now, of course, slowly turning into Al Capone's Chicago, but we are number one in terms of filming movies and television, or we were before our criminalist headlines began. Once so many stars used to relocate here from moviedoms 
wood that nobody even stopped to gaze at them anymore. They were buying coffee off the carts, elbowing whoever's in our way, crossing against the light like the rest of us, dodging bicycles, cursing construction, triple parking, bitching about our cost, bitching about the garbage, the rent, and everything else just like the rest of us. However, nowadays, we have a new uh, gov mayor, not governor. We're going to get a new governor. Mayor, who knows, who managed to get a huge wardrobe of suits on what was then a cop's salary. That's sort of interesting. But where else anyone want to live? Wichita? Nice little condo in Yuma? Iraq? Afghanistan? Downtown Idaho? I need to defend New York City, the home of one-namers like Bloomberg, Jackman, Scorsese, Seinfeld, Ivana, Gaga, Madonna, Whoopi, Hillary, where Jackie lived, where Leona lived, where Roosevelt lived, where Joan Rivers lived, where George Washington lived. I want everyone to come back and visit us again. There is only one New York. We got us the Rockaways, the Hamptons, the Catskills, the Adirondacks. We got the Openers, the After Parties, the Cobblestones, the Marble Statues. Yeah, we got a little traffic. We got Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue, Broadway, Central Park, MoMA, USA's largest museum, the Met. Forget Gumi. We got the Atlantic Ocean, the Hudson, the East River, Niagara Falls, a big puddle also in front of my building, which I don't want to mention, the Natural History Museum. We got the Bronx Zoo, Diamond Center, Chinatown, Little Italy. The Bronx is up and the batteries down. We got the UN, Wall Street, Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York Post, God bless it, the Aquarium, Coney Island, Freedom Tower, 9-11 Museum, St. Pat's, Biggest Synagogue, Temple Emmanuel. We got Greenwich Village, NYU, Columbia, CCNY, Fordham. We got the Skyline, the Highline, the Triborough, Chelsea Market, Brooklyn Bridge, Brooklyn Academy of Music, Trinity Church, Ellis Island, Restaurant Row, Francis Tavern, where George Washington ate a few weeks ago. 24,000 entertainment venues. We also got us Grant's Tomb, the Planetarium, the Charging Bull, Five Burrows, Wallman Rink, Yankee Stadium, Fashion Institute, West Point, Bear Mountain, the Docks, the Garment Center, Horse and Buggy Carriages. We got the Helicopter. We got Coney Island, Long Island, Ellis Island, Rikers Island, Staten Island. We got the Bowery, Central Park South, Central Park West. We got the Rock Rink, the Knicks, Lake George, Waldorf, St. Regis, Plaza, somewhere in some cellar. We also probably have a 9 by 12 enlargement of de Blasio in color, but let's forget about that. We got a lake with rowboats food carts, clothing push carts, Fifth Avenue Library, Madison Square Garden, Madison Avenue, 
Hudson Yards. We're across the street from Atlantic City. We got the East River, Hudson River. We got Saks, Rock Center, Empire State Building, Freedom Tower, Channel Gardens, the Bowery, Gucci, Pucci, Fiorucci, Chanel, Saint Laurent, Bulgari, Tiffany, Fendi, Ferry, Ferret, I'm mispronouncing, Winston, Cartier, Bergdorf's, Van Cleef. Well, we got the harbor, the Knicks, the best sirloin, the best malteds, looking for the best cheesecake in the world. You won't find that in Oklahoma. How about the best bagel, best pastrami, best New York, New York theme song, New York's Eve, ball drop, the Catskills, Christie's, Sotheby's, George Washington Bridge, Lincoln Tunnel, JFK Airport. Forget Andrew Yang. Yeah, we got him, but forget him. We also got the stock market, Wall Street, condos, co-ops, skyscrapers, Times Square, Empire State Observatory. Wait, I got more. We got upstate, downstate, downtown, uptown, crosstown. We got foreign languages, skyscrapers, Radio City Music Hall, bridges, tunnels, subways, four seasons. We got us the opera, the ballet, the foods, the restaurants, the society, the money, the hospitals, the aristocrats, also the plastic surgeons, but let's forget that. We got the Christmas tree, Schubert Alley, best Franks, best pizza the economic capital of the world. We got Manhattan clam chowder, Civil War sites, Revolutionary War sites, World Trade Center, Federal Reserve Bank, with Earth's largest gold storage. It's where the club sandwich and ugh, jello were created. We got ticker tapes. We got parades. We got 24,000 entertainment venues. And we got us the Statue of Liberty. What else anybody looking for? You want to go to Omaha? Lots of luck. I am now coming up to a station break. And then my mouth will be right back. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. I am now going to speak with Kathy Hochul. She is New York's governor. She filled in for, you should excuse the expression, Andrew Cuomo. She is now up as the busiest woman in New York to run for a full term as governor of the state of New York. And she is on the phone with me now. Governor Hochul, I happen to know that she's no shrinking violet. She's not a second-hand rose. She's tighter than a Lego block. And don't call her simple. She's tough. What was like life like growing up? Tell me. Well, Cindy, thanks for having me on this show. I always enjoy our conversations. But, you know, it wasn't easy, but life isn't easy for a lot of people. My parents started out married life in a trailer park when my dad worked at the steel plant and went to school and had a baby there. And I was the next baby to come along a short time later. You know, it was a rough set of town, Lackawanna, New York, where they make steel. And the air was always polluted and kind of covered with orange clouds and the lake was polluted. So, you know, growing up in Buffalo area, you know, it was a little rough early on. But then, you know, my parents were able to 
have jobs and opportunities and life got easier. But, you know, we were always conscious of looking out for people with less. And that's how I was raised to no matter how little we had, we bought our clothes at used clothing stores. And we were always sharing, you know, holiday dinners with people who were underserved and going into the hardest hit neighborhoods to bring them whatever. Were your parents tough? Were they tough? Did you learn tough? I learned. Oh, of course I did. Yeah, they were. They had to be tough to grow up in that environment with, you know, six rambunctious kids. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. My, my mother had a, uh, I would have to say, a miserable childhood. You know, abandoned by a father and mother, single mom raising her at a time when, you know, young girl going to a Catholic school. I mean, you're really ostracized. So she ended up uh, really using that experience to be very empathetic. And so I learned a lot of empathy and love and compassion from my mom. But my dad, you know. Grew up in an immigrant family, worked at the steel plant. You know, I learned I learned how to be able to be rough and tumble from him. And so the combination, the toughness and the empathy really created the person I am today. So I, I owe a lot to my upbringing. Okay, so how did social work or political work, how did that come about? How did you start that? Well, as a child, my parents were always having us involved in important causes. And as I said, we were helping out people that were homeless and were poor. And then we I did a march on hunger when I was 13 and got involved in uh, you know, political activism in high school. I joined a, a political program where we had internships and I went down to Democratic headquarters. And that was a time when a guy named Tim Russert worked there as a young staffer. We worked to elect Senator Moynihan back in 76. So I just, you know, I, I introduced myself to that world and I didn't really have any role models. There were no women elected officials that I knew of at the time or very few. And my parents weren't politically involved, but they were very much socially involved in solving the problems of the day. It was a I would call it a social justice Catholic upbringing where we were taught to, you know, live what we learned, you know, the, through the teachings of Christ. And that means taking care of people who have needs and caring about others. So that's just how I was raised. And for me, my political activism as a young person and ultimately running for office really is an extension of all those values that I learned in that kind of household and in, in those communities. So tell me about the nuns. Were they tough, too? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I was just a kid, and I, you know, I, was, I was just trying to get attention in school, and sometimes I talked to the kids sitting next to me, wham, you got your knuckles wrapped with a ruler. I still swear I have bruises from those experiences, but, you know, and I, my parents ended up taking me out of uh, the Catholic grade school, I think, in sixth grade, because I think the nuns were just done with me, but so I was a little rebellious. Uh, you know, I didn't want to have to sit still and listen to a lot of people. So I still have that streak in me. You know, I want to do things my way. <laughs> so, uh, so it was, you know, but they, I, they taught me respect and values and I, I, I cherish the, the good ones I had. Some were probably tougher than necessary, but everybody has their, their scary nun story, but uh, that shouldn't overshadow the, the vast, vast majority who are okay, very you caring. look pretty good. I have seen you at every sort of function and you look pretty good. Were you good looking growing up? Heck no. <laughs> I know it never, uh, you know, turned. I never turned ahead. I'll tell you right now. I was very plain in high school, you know, crooked teeth. My parents couldn't afford braces. And every teenager is pretty pimply. And, you know, no one taught me how to do makeup or my hair. So I walked around in like, you know, a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt most of the time. And you know, my mom was trying to get me to wear makeup when I went off to college. She's like, no, I don't need that. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to look good. I'm just trying to be who I am. So I didn't, you know, 
believe me, I didn't have a lot of dates. I spent most of high school babysitting my little siblings or other people. And then I got a great job uh, working at a pizzeria every day after school from about four o'clock to 11 on school nights. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have time for all the fun social things and, you know, cheerleading and all the things that the popular girls did. I was just, you know, kid going in my job and making the best pizzas and chicken wings I could. So, you know, it was a tough boss. I think uh, I told you about how when I wanted yeah. to graduate from high school, he said, piss on your graduation. If you don't show up for work, you're fired. I had been no, with this nice. guy every day since high school started. So, you know, it's an interesting experience. Listen, honey, it's good training for New York. Did you think <laughs> it? Did you think it might be as tough and rough as it is getting here as our politics have become? They are pretty tough, Cindy, and I want to make sure that other women see that I can govern successfully with strength. And, and you know, people have said I have, I'm have i an iron fist and a velvet glove, and you want me to keep that glove on. But if I take it off, you know, I'm pretty pretty tough. And then we had to demonstrate that with the budget and other challenges I've come through, and that's all right. Let people learn who they're dealing with. But I don't make it personal. You know, you know if we have to go at each other on an issue today, you know, we can be allies tomorrow. And that's just a way – I'm not going to hold a grudge a long time. I am Irish, and they say – uh, Al- Irish Alzheimer's is you forget everything except the grudge. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know that. Listen, how do you handle, I mean, we all have lousy days. How do you handle the lousy days? You go back and hit your husband. How do you handle when everybody is knocking you? I mean, how? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I've kind of had to deal with that a lot lately, but, uh, <laughs> You know, Cindy, I know people are watching me. I, I know women are watching to see how it's done. I know people are questioning whether or not a woman's got what it takes to govern such a, a complicated, you know, tough and rough state. And I have to show them that I can. I have to show them that nothing bothers me. You know, I find out about, you know, losing a lieutenant governor in the next five minutes. I'm finding out about a, a subway shooter in Brooklyn. Well, I can compartmentalize. I say I'll deal with one later. Right now I have to get to Brooklyn and let people know we're on this, we're looking for this guy, and we're going to continue keeping our subways safe. So I know where I need to go. I intuitively know what I have to do. And I don't get bogged down and feeling sorry for myself or, oh, this is a tough day. Cindy, I'll tell you right now, there are thousands and millions of New Yorkers who have a tougher day than I do every day with their existence. You know, they have hard jobs and they have long commutes and they have abusive homes sometimes. And I am blessed to have the family and support I have. So what might look like a rough day for me, believe me, I can handle it. I mean, you're making it seem like it's we're all singing carols. I just don't know how you handle, seriously, the lousy days. When you came over to my home one day, you were perfect. Every hair was in place. There wasn't a crease on your dress. No, nothing on a schmata, no stain. How do you do that? You'd been out all day. I am not perfect. And I'll tell you, uh, at a low point in the day a couple of days ago, I ordered up a couple chocolate chip cookies and I felt a lot better. <laughs> so I, I, I have my moments of weakness, but I, I, I can't wallow in it. I mean, I just have to say, you know, move on to the next challenge. I mean, I just worked in Mount Vernon. I just came from Mount Vernon, you know, this afternoon. And this community 
was so devastated by the fact that no one had invested in their sewer systems. People had crap and disgusting things coming up through their toilets every day of the week. They couldn't flush certain times of the day. That was horrible. And I went in that community today, and I gave them hope. And the people were weeping because they knew they finally had a governor who cared about them. I can get through any bad day if I know I can also turn it around and help somebody. And I did that when I went to the hospital the other night and sat with a uh, a weeping Chinese mother whose son had been shot by the subway shooter, and she didn't know if he was going to survive. She was all alone in the waiting room, and we hugged each other, and she cried and cried. And to a translator, I heard that she had also lost her job as a home health care aide. Cindy, I just got word today that to our efforts, she's got a new job, and that's just over the last two days. That is a good day for me, and if I can do that for New Yorkers in small ways and big ways, I, I am so grateful to have this. It, that's what keeps me going, knowing I can do good for people, and that's it's really that simple. Okay, I mean, I'm listening to you. It sounds so wonderful. Would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to run for election and get elected. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay as long as the voters will have me. This is a privilege I'm energized by the people I meet and the chance to represent a fascinating place like New York and New York City. I spend uh, about five nights a week in a hotel in New York, and I get to know all the staff there and the workers. They're my friends now. I walk the streets. I was in a diner last night or the night before. I get to know. I go back and talk to people in the kitchen. Uh, I, I embrace this. I love this. Nothing like it. Okay. How do you manage to look so good? How do you manage not to have dirt on your dress how do you manage to get your hair done and your eyelashes curled how i do it all myself i get up i you know plug in the electric curlers brush out my hair throw in some curlers sit there and do makeup i'm usually on a staff call while i'm putting on the makeup i multitask i make sure i call my husband so he doesn't think i forgot him so i don't see him as much as i like but as far as clean clothes i gotta tell you this story uh, before I went to Mount Vernon, I stopped by to meet the borough president in the Bronx. I said to uh, Vanessa Gibson, I've got a little time. Let's meet in a diner. Well, lo and behold, I'm wearing this brand-new blouse, and I got butter from my English muffin on the front of the blouse. So I'm not as classy as I look. Luckily, because I was heading back to Albany, I had spare clothes in the truck. I had to go down and get a new blouse and put it on so nobody knew the difference. So, Cindy, what do you mean I am in your very truck? human. Wait, 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 wait. What, what, well, what do you mean? Call, you have a clothes well, have closet SUV. in the truck? No, no, only because I was heading off to Albany. I'd have to, like, I was, you know, I was in... I'm heading, I, I arrived in Albany, so that's where I am now. I was in New York City this morning. I was in the Bronx. I was in Westchester. You know, so, so I travel all over, and uh, I, you know, I, my suitcases were there because I was checking out of the hotel. So thank God. I'm thinking maybe I better always carry spare clothes because I do drop stuff. I, I, you know, I dropped butter on the front of my blouse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not perfect. <laughs> what would you like to say to the voters? Because I love you. I'm voting for you. I'm your friend. What would you like to say to the voters who don't know you, Kathy? Tell them I am so honored to be the governor. I'm humbled by it. I know I have a lot to prove. A lot of people don't know me. They're just getting used to me, and I want them to give me a chance. I want them to prove the kind of person I am. You know, I'm as tough as I need to be, but I have a heart of gold because I really care about taking care of people. And so I'm just, I just want them to know I'm going to fight like hell for them every single day. It's what I'm hardwired to do. And I'm just getting warmed up. We have so much more to do, and we have a great budget to talk about. I'm going to travel the state. I'm finally liberated from a month in lockdown in Albany. Right? You know, the the budget. A lot of people said, "Yeah, I don't think she can get it done. It's too complicated. She'll never get all those public safety and bail reform things done." And well, guess what, Cindy? We did. I the budget was a little late, but I said, "I'm not leaving here until we get this done," and I got it done. So, you know what? 
people underestimate me, that's all right. They have all my life, and uh, you know, I'm just going to try and let them know that uh, I'm here for them. I, I, I take this job very seriously. Okay, you were just saying about the budget. You brought up the budget. Does that mean, do, are we getting more taxes? Oh, yeah. You're getting a, you know, we have property tax rebates going back $2.1 billion. I have a middle-class tax cut uh, starting this year, $1.2 billion. I suspended the gas tax from now, not till a couple of weeks, but through the end of the year because of the high cost of gas. We were very intentional in, first of all, not raising taxes because I know a lot of people thought we would and they wanted us to, and I'm not doing that. We tax people enough. But then I said, we have a surplus this year. Why don't we put some of this money back in people's pockets, especially when inflation is just really just emptying out their pockets. I mean, how, how do people get ahead? So, yeah, we're, we've got more money coming back, but record investments and things like child care. I had to leave the job I had with Senator Moynihan because I didn't have a babysitter. I didn't want to watch my kids. So we're investing in child care and better education so we get more outcomes from our investments in kids and um, infrastructure. I love building. I'm, I, don't, I had Legos when I was little. I love building, and I'm going to be putting up – I'm redoing Penn Station because Penn Station is a hellhole, and no one should have to commute like that every day. How Why is it called Penn Station if it's New York? Well, my question exactly, Cindy. Well, you and I have to come up with a better name for that because I know it's <laughs> traditional, but excuse me, that is Pennsylvania. We are New York, so I don't know. We'll have to figure that one out. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I just think that you are terrific, and I would like to know how you do your hair color while you're busy running the government, because I can't well, I, get mine done. <laughs> I, I do have a friend who comes in sometimes at 6 in the morning, and uh, she'll do touch-ups when I need it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, my mother had care that stayed uh, not great for a long time, so I don't have to do much in that front, luckily. So, uh, and, I, and I just I just try to keep it together, you know, try to feel in the course of one day, like yesterday, I was at a construction site when they did 270 Park Avenue, uh, the new yeah, headquarters yeah, of J.P. Yeah, Morgan yeah. Chase. Fantastic, unbelievable project. And we can do that with all of Midtown. We can do these you know, deconstructions, they call it, where they tear down the building while it's still standing there and build it even higher. So I think that's the future of, uh, of Midtown. I really do. So I went to a construction site. You know, Then I went to a Passover event to uh, do food distribution in uh, the community. I helped people load up their bags and helped them I made some uh, some you know, helped them make some food to hand out to folks. And then I then I went to the LB, LGBTQ gala at night. So I had to do like four clothing changes in the course of the day. So that's probably the complicated part. Why I can do the government. I understand it. I've got this. But uh, the challenge might be figuring out like okay, you're starting out the day at a construction site. You're going to end up at a gala. How are you going to pull this one off? So so it's it's all it's all part of the so job. So how I'm, did I'm, you I'm do it? How did just, you do? Did you have schmatas in your car? How did you do it? Yeah, yeah I brought clothes with me, and I changed in restrooms. That's usually me behind the door <laughs> changing to something else. <laughs> I've even changed in my truck when I get desperate. I throw everybody out and say, luckily the windows are tinted, so that works out. <laughs> Listen, I think you're great, and I thank you for coming on, and I know you have someplace else to go. And you know, the, 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 the listeners do not know that I was planning a nice party for Governor Hochul on the 28th. Our our pandemic has sort of made it not possible. I just want to know that we were giving a party for you, Kathy. Taking a rain check, Cindy. You're still going to make it happen. Okay. I'm there for All you, right. honey. Thank All you. Right. Thank, thank you, my you, friend. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 
It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to speak with Nancy Grace. She is on Fox Nation. You hear her, you see her all the time. She is blonde, southern, former Atlanta prosecutor. Her name and her mouth is everywhere. I have known Nancy Grace for centuries. I am now about to speak with her. Okay, Nancy Grace, Nancy Grace, Nancy Grace, tell me, first I would like to know, tell me what you think about legalizing marijuana. Cindy Adams, I'm surprised you asked me such a thing about legalizing marijuana. Everybody knows that I think it's a horrible idea. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not think that anyone high on marijuana is going to become a crazed killer or an armed robber, such as when you're high on methamphetamine or crack cocaine. But I can tell you this. In jurisdictions where marijuana has been legalized, the homicide rate, particularly vehicular homicide, has skyrocketed because people are getting high and driving. And it's had a horrible effect. Also, what a lot of people don't take into account is the effect it has on the lungs, particularly of people that are lured into it at a young age. When you got a marijuana cigarette, when you're smoking a big fat doobie, a blunt, there are no filters like we have in cigarettes. Nothing like that. Nothing to protect you. And it's really bad for you. Plus, I don't like prosecuting vehicular homicides. I don't like dead bodies on the highway. That's why I'm against it. I, I, the problem with you is you never have any opinion. That's the problem with you, Nancy. That is the problem with me. No opinion. I know. Okay. Now I would like to ask you, and I'm going to bite my tongue, about the man who is masquerading in the White House as our president. What do you think of him? Cindy Adams, you are baiting me again. But guess what? I'm going to take the bait. You know how I feel about politics. I don't even like to dip my toe in it because I think all politicians, be they Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, I think they're all lying. And I think that that is borne out about what happens in the White House every four years. But as far as Biden goes, I mean, look, we had this choice. We had Trump, who can be a real a-hole, that's a technical legal term, and you've got Biden, who doesn't know what day of the week it is. So (laughs) with the inflation, with inflation, and rampant crime on the rise, and now dealing with Ukraine, I'm, I'm very concerned. But it concerns me about Biden's White House regime, not just Biden, and that when you listen to his spokesperson, I don't like the way that she seemingly mocks everyday Americans with inflation the way it is and gas prices the way it is. I mean, I remember, Cindy, in law school, I would actually have to buy gas at the pump, sometimes with quarters, nickels, and dimes. A lot of people can't imagine that. But I would have to scrounge around to pay for gas to get my Toyota Corolla from my apartment to the law school. I know how that feels. There are people that literally cannot afford to drive to work and back. It's a horrible way to live, dollar to dollar, paycheck to paycheck. And gas prices count. They may not I agree count with you. I to agree the with people you. in the White House, but they count to the rest of the people across this country. And I don't like it when they laughingly comment 
on what regular people should do. You know what, Cindy? You know this. My dad worked the railroad, and my mom was a bank teller who fought her way up to the CFO position of a big company. They worked hard, and I don't appreciate the condescending attitude we're getting from the White House. How about her hair? How about that speaker's hair? How about the red hair? You think that's natural? You know, I don't like anything about her. I don't know if the drapes match the carpet, but that's not my concern. Don't wear. Okay, but it's mine. It's at the moment I, I hate that. I have a that. leg to stand on when it comes to <laughs> bottle blonde, so I, I want to take myself out of that fight. <laughs> Listen, Nancy, you have been everywhere on so many great stories. You have been fighting for the things that most of us believe in. What is happening to our country? What is happening to our government? What are we going to do? Cindy, I tell you, I cross the country on a routine basis um, at my job with Fox Nation, SiriusXM, and Crime Stories. I talk to people that have been greatly affected, greatly impacted by crime, and a lot of people are feeling hopeless. They feel they can't keep up with inflation. They feel like they don't have a voice. They feel like the country is being run by elitists where they, regular people, don't have a voice. And it's very disheartening because these are the people that are the backbone of our country. Um, I was just in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I was investigating the case where a young woman was stabbed 22 times, and it has been declared a suicide. Now, we all know that's impossible, including uh, cuts to the back of her neck. That is no suicide. That's why I was in Harrisburg, and I met her family, her wonderful family, and other people there at her synagogue, and I was greatly touched by how much they want the system to work. But when you look at the system and you see the so-called Bail Reform Act going on where hardened criminals get out the same day they get fingerprinted and booked, it's very upsetting to have repeat offenders walking amongst the innocent. It's very upsetting. But everybody is worrying about the prisons. What about the victims? Nobody cares about that. Is that what's going well, to happen in the future? Well, Cindy Adams, you set off another bomb. You said the word prisons. Why is it in our country there are so many apologists? Nobody wants to build any additional prisons. They like to whine about the condition of the prisons, how bad the conditions are. But the answer is not letting hardened criminals back out on the street to attack innocent people. The answer is to build more and more modernized jail facilities. There, I said it. Our population has gone up. Our prison system needs to be shored up. We need more prisons and more modernized prisons. No more whining about prison conditions. Fix it. We've got so much money in the federal coffers. Why not use it and protect innocent people? I mean, in New York, every day in the New York Post, my number one favorite paper, every day we see another story about a convicted felon that has walked free and committed another crime. What what will it take until it stops? Nancy, have you been going around saying this? I haven't seen you saying this. This should be said everywhere. I say quite a bit on Fox Nation and SiriusXM 
111. I mean, I, I just did an outright plea for Newsom to keep a killer behind bars that the parole board had agreed to let out. And thank God in heaven, he did the right thing. I just did the same thing, asking the Georgia pardon and parole to keep a killer and a guy that I helped prosecute, by the way, way back when. But yes, I say it, but you know, nobody wants to hear hard answers that don't fit in with the elitist ideology. And again, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I hold them both in great contempt. I want what's I'm an American. That's what I want, what's best for our country. What would be best about the gun situation today? Well, you know, Cindy, I'm biased. I'm a victim of gun violence. You know, my I know that. I know fired. that. I know that. I well know that. And, um, I've handled a lot of guns and prosecuted a lot of gun cases. And while I value our Second Amendment right, I am for some degree of gun control. Because, uh, for instance, I'm investigating a case right now where 40 guns were stolen from a mom-and-pop gun shop, gun shot range in Coweta County, Georgia. You know, those 40 guns are already on. They're already filing off those uh, serial numbers yeah, yeah, and flooding know, the black market. And they'll go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars each, probably up in New York City. There's yeah. got to be. You can't tell me with all our scientific advances that we can't figure out a way to keep guns away from bad guys. I'm not worried about the people that have a license and a carry permit. Have at it. I'm worried about the nuts that are shooting innocent people in parking lots, at shopping malls, in schools. That's what I'm worried about. You know, I concur. I, I agree with everything you're saying. Tell me why only leftist professors are in colleges teaching <laughs> our children. I don't have a good answer for that. Do you? Well, I do believe there are a lot of left-wing professors in colleges and universities across the country, but I also believe that there are conservatives. They're probably just too afraid to say anything. <laughs> but I, I also believe as far as universities and colleges, and I've sat on the board of my alma mater. I've got two of them, Mercer University and NYU. Uh, but at Mercer, I sat on the board, and they have a wonderful, wonderful cadre of professors I think across the country, conservatives are really afraid to speak out because they're afraid they'll be canceled. Do you blame them? But yeah, no, I, I understand that, that. Yeah, I also think that very often professors, instructors live in a bubble, the so-called ivory tower. They're not mingling with the great unwashed. I mean me and uh, regular people on the street that work every day. I, I think that they are privileged in a sense they don't have to and we want to keep their minds and their intellects pure but I, I think that they're away from harsh realities of regular life sometimes but as long as i've got you on the air nancy i know that you were very big in covering the brian laurie gabby petito story with with their oh, yes their killings can you tell us a little bit about what you know how it happened well, the Brian Laundry Gabby Petito case really gripped the country because at the time it first skyrocketed onto the headlines, no one knew where Gabby was. Gabby Petito, a beautiful young girl from the Northeast, had moved down to Florida with her fiance, Brian Laundry, and his family at North Point, Florida. They went on a 
they gave up their jobs and they went vlogging, which is, you know, blogging yeah, but on yeah, video. Yeah. And across the country, she was really doing all the work. And then suddenly she went missing. And Brian Laundrie, the so-called fiancé, comes all the way back across the country in her van using her credit cards and debit cards, gets all the way back with no Gabby. And the family, his family, sat on that information for many, many days until her family had to call the police. Uh, they, they would not help Gabby's family in any way in the search for Gabby. Ultimately, oh, thanks to civilian sleuthing, someone actually saw Gabby's van out in dispersed camping, which means you're not near a porta potty, you're not near a water hookup, you are out in the wilderness. That's dispersed camping. They spotted a van matching hers there, called police, and Gabby's body was found there. Brian Laundrie, of course, suspect number one, ended up, we think, killing himself in um, Carlton Reserve, which is in Florida. It's about 25,000 acres of watery preserve. His body was found with some of his self-absorbed musings in a notebook. That happened, and many people are asking, will his parents be prosecuted for withholding evidence during the search for Gabby? That remains to be seen. I predict no, because the only people that know anything about it would be their lawyer, Brian Laundrie and the Laundrie family lawyer, and he's under the privilege. He can't say anything. Listen, I could speak to you for like three weeks at a time, but I know you've got your children, and I know you've got stuff you've got to do for them. Just tell us Actually, now. What... They're with me right now. Right ah. now, we're 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 doing Easter activities right now, and um, I've, we've all been waiting for for your call because they've heard of the great Cindy Adams. And Ab- absolutely, <laughs> with absolutely. Me right now, talking to the great Nancy Grace. Listen, when you come into town, give a call. We'll have dinner, okay, honey? Well, Thank only you. if all the restaurants are open for Pete's sake, Cindy Adams, and I certainly hope they are. If not, you can come to my home. I'll send okay, out for food. I love you. Okay? <laughs> love Thank you, Cindy Nancy. Adams. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, honey. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. So, I have a story to tell you. Wednesday, my phone rings. A voice says, hi, it's Barry Manilow. Who? Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow? Him I've heard singing Mandy, but on my phone... When I'm sitting in my kitchen, halfway through a tuna salad sandwich on raisin bread? No, I don't think so. I should give up a tuna on raisin bread with bits of celery and mayo for a wrong number? I don't think so. So I said, oh. Then came a second voice, and it said, hi, this is Bruce Sussman. Oh, the unfamiliar sound said, I had dinner next to you recently in fresco. So what? So have 90 other overeaters I don't know. How do you have my phone number? Who are you? The voice says, Barry Manilow and I are friends over a lifetime, and we created the new musical Harmony, which just now opened tonight at National Yiddish Theater Folkspein. Understand this was Wednesday. A bell rang. This is a project I have heard about, written about, know about forever. They've been working on it for centuries, and it was opening Wednesday night. So the Barry Manilow voice says, 
Now, you know, we started this project back in 1841. A joke, joke, joke. Then he said, seriously, we have been working on this all this time, about six young, talented guys in 1920 Germany. Great harmonies, old-fashioned, Marx Brothers-type humor, but beneath all the vaudeville razzmatazz is a great tragic story. Nobody's remembering them. But back then, nobody ever heard of anyone. Now, finally, said Manilow, Bruce and I are at the finish line with this musical we titled Harmony. Okay. Bruce says... This began after I saw an old-fashioned, fragile, subtitled reel about them downtown. I was so excited seeing their story that, this is long before we had cell phones, I quick found a payphone on Lafayette Street, called Barry, and I said, Listen, we have to do this. Then Barry Manilow got on the phone and said, here is something you won't believe. The lead character, who was then still alive as we were working on this, and was in his 90s, lived, if you can actually believe this, right near me, in Palm Springs. Who knew? I walked my dog right in front of his house, never knowing, for years. Here I am, writing a show about this man, and he lived exactly three blocks away from my house, and who knew it? Here I am, writing songs about this aged character I didn't even know, and didn't know where he existed, and we finally met. He is gone now. He was 98. I am writing songs about him and I am crying as I talk about it. The show Harmony, as I said, opened Wednesday, but here's part two of the story. Barry Manilow called me Wednesday. He was on his way to the theater, but he could not go in to the theater. He could not go in to the opening. As he hang up, as he hung up, he was diagnosed with COVID. He could not go backstage, could not go to the opening, could not go to their party, could not even go to the theater. This is after having worked on this project almost 25 years. He says he couldn't even go backstage. He couldn't go to their opening party. He wanted to cry. Said Barry Manilow, after everything else has happened to me in the world, this is the most cruel thing that has ever, ever happened to me. Here's a change of pace. Here's signs you might be at a Republican Seder. One, refuse to answer the four questions without a subpoena. Two, demand a recount of the ten plagues. Three, no minimum wage increase because buying a goat now costs only two pence or zizzums or whatever it is. Four, 
the Afakoman is hidden in the Cayman Islands. 5. No open door for Elijah until they see his immigration papers. 6. They attack Moses for negotiating with Pharaoh because we don't negotiate with our enemies. 7. Don't understand why Egyptians didn't cure the plagues with hydroxychloroquine. I hope I pronounced it right. 8. They omit Haggadah parts about slavery because it reminds them of critical race theory. 9. They ask, when do we get to the miracle of the Jewish space lasers? And 10. The Seder ends by singing, Next Year in Mar-a-Lago. Okay? That was my ending. And I thank you all for listening to me. Have a happy everything, Easter, Passover, and anything else you can think of. Thanks a lot, Cindy. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.